And welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. I'm Zach. Hi, Adam. Hey, uh, we got a weird one this week, huh? (sighs) Boy, (laughs) the thing people have not seen behind the curtain of our show, the way that we plan episodes, is sometimes we have really strong central ideas that we're like, oh, we need to cover these things and we're really excited about it. And then sometimes we're like, I guess we'll do this. And then we throw a story in there that we remember being related to it, but then really isn't. <laughs> anyway, that's what we've got this week. Because uh, we're talking about Danny Moonstar, allegedly. Uh, sure. Yeah. and Allegedly. Uh, that's that's cool. I, I like Danny Moonstar. She's, I like uh, Danny Moonstar as well. Yeah, Danny's great. And I, as we will find out during this episode, Danny Moonstar contains multitudes. Danny Danny has a lot going on to her, mm. uh, which is a lot of fun, I think. She's a yeah. good character. Uh, absolutely. Remember and when they made a really bad movie starring Danny Moonstar, though? It's so weird, and and I still find people defending that, and I'm so confused We by don't that. need to defend the New Mutants 2016, 2018, 2019, Whenever it actually came out, I don't know. But like people are like, oh, they'll bring that cast back, and this, that. I'm like, no. Adam, Adam. They're going to bury that in a hole. <laughs> Adam, you need to understand, earlier today, I argued about X-Men, and I forgot that I'm not arguing about X-Men with anybody anymore. And I got so mad at myself that I deleted Twitter off my phone for a little bit. They, uh, that's that's a really smart thing to do. You got to take that mental health time for yourself. It's, you it's, know? Here's, the, here's the thing. I was right. <laughs> and it's so important that I was right. But equally important is that I don't want to argue about X-Men with anyone but you, buddy. Hey, that that's, I like that. I think and I can't try be and trusted. <laughs> I try and make that my approach as well. Um, so I don't, I don't know that there's much to argue about this week. But um, what are we starting with? Because this is an interesting choice in and of itself. We're starting with a request from Nance. Because uh, as you may know, or might not, this could be news to you. But Nance went over to Patreon.com/slash/ComicsXF, reached deep down to the hearts and pocketbooks, said, "Folks, I'd like to toss a couple of coins into your coffers and uh, keep." Uh, Comics XF run in. We got great stuff at Comics XF. We're shaking yeah. things up. We're doing doing some new, exciting writing about stuff. So if you want to support all the really cool stuff that's going on over there, patreon.com, $5 gets you an episode of this podcast about whatever you want. Like, I don't know, man. Whatever you want. We're yeah, not and we're not picky is, people. <laughs> this is a good example of that because uh the request was what? Oh, it's uh New Mutants. 37, if I should die. Uh, Adam, do you know what New Mutants 37 is a tie-in to? Well, folks, it is yet again a Secret Wars 2 (laughs) tie-in. Adam, would it shock you to know that Al Ewing kind of made Secret Wars 2 good recently? (laughs) I have to read that because he brought the Beyonder back, right? Yeah, Al Al Ewing has now presented the Grand Unified Theory of Beyonders. Including this Beyonder, which takes almost every retcon about uh, the Beyonder Beyonder with his Jerry Curl and makes them work. Except for the retcon that Bendis did with the Illuminati that was like, also, he's a mutant and an inhuman. And no one, no one bought that. No one did anything with that one. Yeah, nor should they. Does it does it uh, include the, the Hickman, it was just a baby theory? It absolutely includes the Hickman, he was just a baby theory. I love Al Ewing. Just like always coming Al up Ewing, with these bonkers things. Al Ewing shouldn't do most of the things that Al Ewing does, but <laughs> Al Ewing does them for our benefit. Javier Rodriguez draws the mm. heck out of them. Yeah. Uh, neither creative is on this, but one thing that is X-Men related around that. Adam, you know where the Beyond, you know the Beyonders? Yes. You know where they're from? Beyond. Yeah, they're from Beyond. Well, do you know what's Beyond the Beyond? Um, didn't it? I, I I feel like we were talking about this in the Slack the other day. Isn't it like the white page around the panels? Or yeah, something no, like it's that? the it's the white hot room of the Phoenix is Beyond the Beyond. Right, but isn't the implication that that is the the page of the 
the paper or did I just make that up? Al Ewing's doing a lot of things in this series, folks. <laughs> uh, it rules. Also, Galactus's hot mom uh, is now Fire and Life Incarnate now and forever. And some of you may say, I don't like that. And here's the thing. You're right to feel that way because every time uh, that someone else has gotten the Phoenix, it's been bad. Yeah. Um, except for this, this is good, actually, because it's Galactus' hot mom. Anyway, go read Al Ewing's Defenders and Defenders Beyond with Javier Rodriguez. So good. So good. And it brings back the Beyonder, baby. Yeah, well, bringing back the Beyonder, I felt like uh, we've done these Secret Wars 2 tie-ins a couple of times, so much so that when I read that this was what we were kicking the episode off with, I was like, didn't we do this already but we haven't we covered the issues that come after this after the secret wars 2 issue number nine so this is the we have also covered the issues that come before it in multiple different arcs yeah so um this is in particular the issue that leads into secret wars 2 number nine um and it is the one where the beyonder basically kills and erases the the earth of the new mutants so when it's when it's called if i should die it means it quite literally yeah it's by uh it's by chris claremont with pencils by mary wilshire and inks by bill sinkevich and boy mary wilshire with bill sinkevich is a it's a look it's a trip it is really interesting to see these two um, and I, I love when Sienkiewicz comes back in inks, just the, the cover is done by Rick Leonardi and it has Sienkiewicz inks over it. And it just looks so awesome. Like Sienkiewicz should do more inking. Yeah. You know, this is, I do think this is a far cry from some of Mary Wilshire's, uh, work like the life of Christ volume one or the life of Christ, the Easter story. Uh, I haven't, haven't, uh, seen. Oh, you haven't read, those. you haven't read Marvel's the life of Christ. Uh, by Louise Simonson, Mary Wilshire, and Colleen Doreen. That's a real thing? You didn't just make that up? No. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, maybe when I saw It was the 90s, baby. Marvel was doing the, anything. Uh, the Easter Bunny. <laughs> Next spring, I'll pick a copy up. I don't know. Yeah, Mary Wilshire, you know, mo- a very clean style, which yeah, wild to see Sinkerich. Like, Sinkerich's inks add so much of an edge to this, but Wilshire's style still really, really works. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Uh, here's the thing about the Beyonder. And sometimes we say things like grand unified theory of the Beyonder. And I think people get the wrong impression. And they think that hey, is the Beyonder cool and good. And the answer is no. People. <laughs> oh, he's so stupid. He's so stupid. And, it, it, you know, from issue to issue, depending on where the Beyonder's emotional state may lie, depending on uh, how he's being written and by who his motivations don't make a hell of a lot of sense. So we've seen him mess with the new mutants in, in a variety of different ways. And here he just seems really kind of nihilistically pissed off for some reason for the purposes of our episode. And since we're thinking of this as more of a Danny centric episode, um, the whole beginning of this issue centers around Danny having visions of how uh, her new mutants colleagues will die as they are all watching um a john wayne movie not a great choice with danny uh present well in the the book or, is the book is doing that very intentionally yes one to get at hey you know this thing that a lot of people would think of as a very normal and fun thing well maybe think about the larger implications of it which isn't a wild thing necessarily but i don't know i guess i it, it's nice to see in a marvel comic in 1985 to be like hey yo come on it's crazy actually to see it in 1985 that you actually have sam going to danny and being like oh man we really we did not think about this choice before we put this movie on <laughs> sorry um now Given the limited access to home VHS recordings, you know, like obviously they may have rented this. I don't know, but maybe it's just playing on TV. But for Sam to have that kind of recognition, uh, kudos and good for Claremont for writing this into the story. It's why Sam's a good boy. Yes. Because he was like, oh, Danny, I'm sorry. I screwed this up. (laughs) 
Um, but Danny is having these like wacky visions of like a demon over magic's head or a, an angel over Shan's head and Pluto the Magus over warlocks. Yeah. Head. The Magus over warlock. So she's having these, these really cool visions, which are, which are really awesome. They're, they're in hot pink, high contrast inks. And, uh, of course, Danny is also wrestling with the fact that these powers come from her being a Valkyrie now. So it's it's a great start because one, it says, hey, Danny being native, being Cheyenne is very important to her. And that doesn't go away just because she's this other thing now, too. Right. And that becomes that becomes a very interesting through line for Danny for most of her life. That intersectionality that I am Cheyenne and I am a mutant and I am a Valkyrie, and I am a woman. All of this stuff, it becomes it becomes kind of her defining characteristic. Yeah. In yeah, that this... she's got a lot going on. Yes. She, she, has, she, has gone, she has gone past, like, what John Proudstar would have fallen into of, I have one thing going on for me, and that is that I am, you know, a native. And the problem with that is, well, people are more than one thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a one note character by any means, uh, or stretching the imagination. And, uh, uh, we get this, there is one page here that is absolutely gorgeous. Um, where Danny takes off on bright wind and ascends through the clouds. It is beautiful just to see, uh, Mary illustrate this, this Pegasus, uh, you know, and, and Valkyrie, um, you know, and Danny riding her, on the clouds, uh, which is just, it's so cool. Um, and she's having, you know, visions and, um, there's a little bit of a segue as Sam or excuse me, as Roberto is trying to help out a fallen crane in the middle of New York city, which is interesting. So he's separated from the team. Yeah. There's a, there's a whole little subplot about, about him, uh, lifting up a heavy thing. Uh, then she Hulk comes and lifts the heavy thing way easier. And <laughs> yeah. he's like, no one knows I did anything. And this one guy was like, I see you, kid. Yeah. I see you. I know she, Hulk, she Hulk's cool. You're also cool. <laughs> yeah, you did a good. But the problem really comes down to the Beyonder showing up. Now, the Beyonder has been more or less tormenting the new mutants uh, since Secret Wars 2 started. What happens in Secret Wars 2? I'm not really sure. I don't want to read Jim Shooter's Midlife Crisis. Um, I <laughs> never have wanted to. I don't intend to read Secret Wars 2. You can't. You can't make me. I I get the gist. He's been he's been screwing with him. He it, wants it, to know what love is. He wants to know what life is. He wants you to show him. Yeah, and I I believe you're at the point in the story here where the Beyonder is just kind of like sick of everything and wants it all to go away. So in this yes. particular uh, case, he decides he's just gonna bash some skulls, and the whole second half of this issue is devoted to the Beyonder doing just that, and one by one. Nobody stands a chance against this guy. He is just like tearing it up. All of the new mutants get viciously murdered in this one. Yeah. Yeah. You think for a second that uh, warlock is going to have a chance and we should take a second to talk about the way that warlock is drawn in this particular issue, because it truly embraces Bill Sienkiewicz's like warlock is a scribble. Because mm-hmm. from panel to panel, he has no common distinctions whatsoever. Aside from, he is just literally like you turned the the chisel edge sharpie and just went. Nya, 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 nya. And at some point, he's just like taking up the whole panel, and you're like, oh, okay, he can, he, you know, he can do this. He's practicing for killing the Magus, but not so much. No, uh, he dies. Everyone dies one by one, and it's harrowing like it's a it's a tough scene to watch and read uh but you get to the end where danny is the last one standing and she makes a uh she makes a statement echoing something that her grandfather told her about when you know americans came and genocided all the natives and she just makes stands her ground to the beyonder and says fine i'm not i'm not going to be afraid as i face death and she yeah. she lets him know that she could reach out to him and do something, even a feeble gesture. But she is standing there accepting this. It's a good scene for Danny. It's a good like 
Ine- the inevitability of this all is on her, but she is going to stand strong. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that culminates with uh, a fairly like graphic panel of <laughs> her and Brightwind. Um, I don't. It's hard to tell whether they're like in the air and trapping. they're in the air. They're up. Yeah. Yeah, and like just c- turning into ashes. It looks like like or or blood and guts everywhere. I don't know. Like there, there's a couple of ways you can interpret this panel, but by the end, it, he waves his hand and no more new mutants, and nobody's gonna ever remember they were here. And uh, you know, it looks very very much like this team is at their end. Now, of course, we've continued reading this book and these characters will live long after this, but at the time, I can uh, assume this might have been pretty dramatic for readers. It's a big ending. Yeah. Uh, like here's the thing, if you're going to do a everyone is going to die issue and be a death fake out, this is like the good version of that because it even knowing that there's going to be another 40 some 50 some issues of new mutant it's 60 some it's 63 issues of new mutant <laughs> no i can do i can do math so well buddy uh i took folks don't understand i took so much math classes i believe you it's okay oh anyway even knowing that there's 63 issues of this book left it still hits it's like okay this is a good death and because even if it's not death, it does what Krakoa does and says, well, we're still going to make this matter. Even if it's not death, we're going to have this have an impact. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think even if you were like me, I was not reading this book at the time. Um, but when I went back and, and read the entire run and you see that cover to 38, that classic Art Adams cover of them sort of sort of stepping down into their graves you know, there is this sense of finality that, that goes along with this particular uh, arc. So um, I, I thought this was a really good issue. You know, the, the unfor- uh, of the, I'm going to put that, the, the asterisks on that and say that of the co-starring the Beyonder issues, this is probably the best one we have read, uh, you know, from the Uncanny X-Men and New Mutants ones where he's been pestering them and getting in their way or whatever. Uh, this one actually seems to work in terms of a cosmic power coming in and messing with them. Yeah, this is a this is a real story, and it's good actually. Yeah. Um. So we should do that thing we do, Adam. Yeah, we should rank this on our giant list. Why don't you tell our listeners what that is? Yeah, we have a big list, and the the gimmick of the show is that we are ranking every X Men story from A to Z, uh, but really it's from best to worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have done this 684 times on a road on that road. Again, we can't wait to get back out on that road to 700 <laughs> We're uh, there. Yeah. Uh, the best story is the house of X, the powers of 10. Uh, number 100 on the list is X-Men alpha flight. Number 200 on the list is X-Force one to two, a force to be reckoned with number 300 on the list is X-Men to protect and to serve. Number 400 on the list is the Children of the Atom arc of Uncanny X-Men and non-Uncanny X-Men, the regular regular flavor. Uh, I guess flavorless X-Men. Adjectives? Uh, if you must. Uh, <laughs> Exiles 43 and 45 of Blink and Time is at 500. Number 600 on our list is the, the Beyond arc of Mutant X. Ooh. Also featuring Speaking the Beyonder. Again, the a Beyonder? bad character. <laughs> Uh, the Drake goes at the bottom. Yeah, this is pretty. It's pretty good. This one's pretty good. All right. So at two sixty five, we have the arc of three issues that comes immediately after this called Aftermath. That's thirty eight to forty. This um, is better. I think this might be better. Yeah. So working our way up the list from two sixty five. Is this better than? Is this better than uh, two fifteen men? No. No, I would, I look, this is fun, but I, I, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's that high, you know, is we're it, probably mid two hundreds here. Is it better than that time in uncanny X-Men that Colossus pretended to be a ghost? No, but we're, we're in the same place. Like this is not as good as orphans of X at two thirty five. I don't think this is, you know, we're probably on par with like trial of Jean gray at two forty three. I think this is better than trial of Jean gray. Okay. Um, um, I don't, 
I don't like it as much as Inferno from Battle World at 242. I think this is better than Inferno Battle World. Okay. Um, so, but I don't think it's better than World War X at 239 from the Ultimate Comics X-Men. All right. We're whittling it down. So we got between those two. We have the Age of Apocalypse X-Terminated arc hmm. and the road trip, the start of the road trip era of X-Force, which put a pin in that one. I would say this is better than Road Trip, but under the Exterminated. Okay. Yeah, that's a good place for it. So that's going to be our new 241, New Mutants 37, If I Should Die. Interesting. Well, if I should die before I wake, (laughs) uh, I pray my wife, my collection of comic books to take. Um, I don't fun think that's fact. A, that's not how the Metallica song goes, Zach. I, I don't fun know. fact. Fun fact. My wife did today ask me, hey, do you know what X-Men Gold is? Oh. And I said, what's the context that you're asking? Someone was selling comic books on uh, <laughs> on something. And she always asks me if I want them. Uh, and I tell her, I unfortunately own every issue of X-Men Gold, babe. It's <laughs> it's one of the worst Complete runs that I own. <laughs> my mother, God bless her. I just uh, went uh, to visit her with my brother recently, and uh, I have no idea how this came up, but me collecting comic books came up as part of the conversation. Not something that's a normal conversation with my parents, but sure. I, somehow, my through my father asking me a variety of different questions, uh, I, I managed to talk for at least three minutes or so about collecting the run of Hellboy. Um, and I'm only missing a couple of issues left, but they're like the really expensive early appearances that I'm probably not going to buy. Cause they're like, they're not cheaper than like $150. So my right. mom, my mom starts asking me, well, just let me know what they are. And you know, when we're out there at the antique mall and at the, at the flea markets, we'll make sure to keep our eyes open. And I'm like, ma, you're not going to find San Diego comics con number two <laughs> while you're poking around at the local flea market, but thank you. So she made me write the titles down. That rolls. <laughs> Your mom seems great. Hold she's, on. She's going to be on the lookout. <laughs> I had through people finding things at flea markets to give to me out of the kindness of their hearts and the dumbness of their brains. I did get multiple copies of that issue of x factor in inferno where madeline's in her inferno costume holding up a baby yes it's a great i'm just thinking every time i get it i'm like well this is uncomfortable for me to get (laughs) what do you there's a lot of context that goes into this image that i know you don't have and i know i don't want to give you absolutely well you know it the the thought is there but yes the thought the thought what is the is great the thought was (laughs) I think the thought was, this has an X on it, right? Zach likes those things. <laughs> yes. Great. Yes. Love that. Love that energy. Uh, but sometimes comic books are just hard to explain. And I feel like, Adam, that's part of what we have to reckon with in our next issues. This is X-Force, 83 to 84. It's by John Francis Moore. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some dialogue in there by Jay Faber. And you got to know, you got to know that Jim Chung, he's doing those pencils. A young Chung. Yes. Uh, and, and an interesting evolution because we're going to cover two stories uh, that are by this pairing. And uh, the way that Chung's art evolves between the two is, is quite interesting. Um, but this first story is the introduction of a character who actually becomes kind of pivotal. Uh, towards the end of this book and that is well or or to the the next story that we'll talk about um and that is arcadia so yeah that's arcadia deville yes arcadia deville and her uh erstwhile deviant bodyguard ulysses dragonblood yeah uh the thing about ulysses dragonblood is that he is a deviant Mm -hmm. uh you know the deviants um, they are characters from the X-Men comic uh, Judgment Day. <laughs> right. They're hanging out on Krakoa now because, you know, they have enough. Uh, they have enough in common to come through those portals. Do I think the deviants are good? Not really. Do I think <laughs> it's great that in a comic book that that's 
just out, Death to Mutants number two, Crow puts on his little sunglasses and he does a fight. <laughs> the thing about Crow is that he's the only deviant that matters. And he does wear a little little sunglasses and is the devil. It's great. It's great. Here's why Jack Kirby's better than everyone else in terms of character design, Adam. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Most people would be like, okay, deviants, underground, evil demon people. I'll make their leader look like the devil. Right, right. Great. You're there. Got the symbolism. You know what you're playing with. You understand it. Jack Kirby says, I'm going to make the leader look like a devil with little sunglasses on. <laughs> and that's so much better. Kirby's always got to accessorize, right? Is it a giant the, hat? Is it a tiny pair of sunglasses? <laughs> now, Ulysses, Ulysses Blood Dragon does not wear little sunglasses. But do you know who does? Oh, does Arcadia wear little sunglasses? No, but Ulysses Blood Dragon's uh, twin brother, Odysseus Indigo. Oh. He does wear little sunglasses. He, he represents the Damocles Foundation. You know about yes. the Damocles Foundation, right? Damocles Foundation, which I believe is introduced in the arc after these. But he's a, he's a, he's a more interesting looking character, I think, than Ulysses. He's gray Ulysses with little sunglasses, where green Ulysses is uh, a World of Warcraft orc. Yeah, pretty much. You know, that's that's kind of what he looks like. Uh, we start this story with getting an appearance by everybody's favorite X-Men mama, Ma Guthrie. I thought we were talking about Domino. It's like, I, she doesn't play that. <laughs> she's got she's got a role to play in here. Sure. But no, uh, this is a Guthrie story. Uh, Sam comes home after yeah. being with the X-Men for some time. Um, Sam's struggling throughout these two issues. And Adam, do you have the context for why Sam's struggling? Well, I believe uh, this is around the time that the X-Men is going through its roster shift. So we have uh, Maggot, Marrow, and Cecilia Reyes joining the team. And what I don't remember why Sam is feeling put out, though. Sam's feeling put out because uh, he was not one of the classic X-Men and editorial wanted to change the roster oh. back to the classic <laughs> X-Men and then send X-Force, uh, Sam back to X-Force or wherever he belongs um, which is sad for him, uh, but he run. also, he's also feeling put, put out because his best friend, uh, Bobby DaCosta did definitely cheat on, uh, Cannonball with Cannonball's girlfriend meltdown. Yes. And, uh, we, I believe we've covered that story on the show before. And I remember when that happened being like, really, this is an odd choice, but it, it, you know, canon is canon. I guess it uh, happened. And Cannonball is Cannonball, so I understand that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's also Cannon implied here. Hold on. It's also implied here that uh, Cannonball is developing some feelings for Marrow, which, gosh, I wish they had played up on that. I That, that would have, that could have been interesting. Because Marrow, Marrow had some feelings for, well, Kitty Fried uh, when she comes back. And then also Colossus. Mm-hmm. And I guess also Sam Guthrie a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. I I don't know, but that's uh, neither that's neither here nor there. What is here is Arcadia Deville. Yes, uh, she is portrayed sort of as a, a younger girl who's glowing that Sam believes is in trouble and mistakenly thinks that when they, they encounters him that Ulysses uh, has sort of ill intentions, but that's not the case. Um, because to be fair, this little glowy girl is being chased around by a world of Warcraft orc. <laughs> yeah. She's also like a real nasty, uh, like bossy girl. She's, she's basically like kill this dude. We know, we don't know who he is, but kill Sam. They don't Dragon kill Friends. Sam. No, they get, they get into a fight. Uh, and eventually X-Force shows up. You see, X-Force was busy dealing with the newest member of their team, uh, Bedlam. You know Bedlam. Very famous X-Men character, Jesse Bedlam. Yeah, Jesse Bedlam. Um, very As similar Very similar to Hijack in the power set. Yeah, Jesse Bedlam, as portrayed by Terry Crews, is a bad, bad movie. Not a great decision to do this skinny boy as Terry Crews, but uh, okay. Not... <laughs> Hold on. How many great decisions were made oh. in the entirety of the movie <laughs> Deadpool 2? There is one, and that is the, the score, uh, which which has like this choir singing. Oh, what do they do? 
What is the they're choir sing- sing? They're singing a bunch of stuff that we can't say on this family. Yeah, yeah, podcast. but it, it's like they're anyway. That might have been. I hated only. that part actually. I really did. I was oh, like, really? "This is dumb." Yeah, I the movie had already lost me by that point. This is we do not need to talk about Deadpool two. You brought it up. And I'm sorry I brought it up. <laughs> this bedlam is cool. I like this bedlam, and this bedlam is being chased around by uh, another interesting thing that John Francis Moore is adding to uh, the lore, and that is the group Muse which is apparently the mutant underground that we had heard Professor Xavier referring to on a couple different occasions. Yeah, they're they're helping mutants. Um, do you know how many times Muse comes up? Not many, I'm assuming, because I don't remember seeing them elsewhere. They will never appear again. <laughs> it feels like an Excalibur acronym, doesn't it? Like <laughs> It really does. Um, it's, a, it's a really cool idea, and I kind of wish that like the mutant underground support engine would make is a really cool idea that would make a really mediocre TV show, especially if you followed primarily the human family that has a couple of mutant children instead of all the cool mutants doing the underground supporting. Wow. So you're describing the gifted. I mean, I'm not not describing the gifted <laughs> if that's what you're. If that's what you're implying, Adam, I guess See, there are some similarities. And that would be fine as long as, you know, you, you still had some action. So, for example, as uh, Sam, uh, Ulysses, and Arcadia are coming to terms, we now have another group of deviants that are out to kill Arcadia. So it's up to uh, Cannonball to ha- turn from the antagonist into the aggressor and help protect uh, these characters. Yeah, that's all they can do. Uh, and they try and protect them. Hey, it turns out then all of X-Force shows up and they get into a fight. Uh, Arcadia DeVille. Well, they get into a fight with the new Deviants. Uh, it's a group called the Sword. Not not to be confused with Sword. But this not is to be confused sword. with Sword. They are the Sword. Uh, yes. Do you know who the Sword works for? Well, don't, don't they work for Ulysses' brother? Yeah, they work for the Damocles Foundation. Yeah. See, it's, a, it's the Sword of Damocles. Damocles. Very classy. I like that. It's it's this kind of content that you don't get in regular comics. You <laughs> only get classics puns in late 90s X-Force, right? Sure. I mean, this is an interesting run of, of some things that you would not be expecting to happen to this team. It's, it's cosmic in a weird way. And uh, to the point where when Danny and Arcadia make physical contact for the first time, Danny basically like gets the powers cosmic at least it looks that way she looks like carolina dean from the runaways yes Yes. danny will look this way for 20 issues she's she's uh she's blue she's sparkly um and uh it's an interesting look uh because these characters have never met you don't understand why they would have any kind of history together um so why is this happening? It's happening because John Francis Moore uh, is just throwing some stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Uh, it is about the time that Jim Chung joins the book in place of Adam Polina that maybe the road trip era takes some paths less traveled on. Yeah, um, but I I think this is kind of refreshing. It's weird, that's for sure. And uh, with Jim Chung, I, I think the art looks pretty good. Um, this isn't as detailed as... Maybe, you know, or, or as stylized, I shouldn't say that it is definitely like stylized. It is his style. Okay. Yeah. It's Um, everyone has the Jim Chung face. Yes. Is he locked in completely to all of his stylized quirks that he will develop later in his career? Not quite yet. Um, and it depends on who's inking him. Uh, Mark Morales, I think does most of the inks on these two issues, but, um, you know, it's still, looks really cool. I think the art is pretty solid. And we close the issue out with Sam making peace with uh, with with Boomer and Birdo. Meltdown. She's Meltdown now, Adam. Please get her That's name right. Right. Sorry. And uh, they decide, hey, we're a team again and, and we're going to go off and go on in more adventures. So, you know, if for solely the, you know, getting Cannonball back on the train, it's kind of cool, you know? It's it's a whole lot of nonsense, but it's kind of fun. This isn't a bad issue, but it is kind of a blah issue, which in the late 90s was refreshing. Yeah, 
yeah, I, I think that it is an interesting change from what Polina was doing art wise, um, which was extremely distinctive. This is, this is distinctive in another way. And, uh, I, I appreciate it. I, I think it looks really neat. So, you know, to the further adventures, um, further adventures. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to give us a starting point. Okay. This isn't as good as uh, children of the atom, uh, which we talked about at that. Was it 400? It's not been pushed back to 401. I think that's fair. You know, this is middling. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly not, you're not going to like rush out to find the first appearance of our Arcadia and Ulysses Dragonstone. Um, but it's Unless also, they appear in Eternals 2, too many Eternals. <laughs> hey, that'd be really fun, actually. Uh, but I too also, many Eternals was actually the, the tagline for Eternals 1. Oh, is it really? You're making no, that. That's a, that's a joke on how many characters they had in that movie and how <laughs> they didn't spend adequate time to develop even one of them. Oh, boy. I do think... Do you think that, about how... Do you, I'm sorry. I think about think the Eternals of, movie. No, I don't. Oh, I was going to ask if you thought about the part, how Kingo is like, Oh, we're getting ready for the final battle. I don't want to be a part of it. It leaves for the rest of the movie. I mean, no, if I'm being honest, I, I do not think about that because I watched it once and I have not really thought about it again. Cause I've constantly of- thought about the fact that we did get a Kirby celestial. Oh, we yeah. didn't get Kirby Eternals or Deviants. We did just get multiple Kirby Celestials. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. They, they still kind of looked like MCU'd. Um, Not the rock one. Not the rock one that was coming out of the earth and being born. Yeah, no, that one looked like a straight up. Tiamat the Dreaming Celestial? Celestial? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. That was great. That part was great. Yeah. Uh, Tiamat the Dreaming Celestial does not appear in this. <laughs> Though I will say, for the rest of this X Force run, it is oddly all about the Eternals and the Deviants. Yeah, it's it's pushing this stuff in an interesting direction, which I don't know if it works or not, but um, you know, it's kind of cool. You've highlighted District M. This is better than District M. Yeah, I think so District too. X, excuse me. Yeah, um, and I I don't I think the story is is more interesting than at uh, four twenty two the X Men Volume Four Primer. Um, also Jim Chung. Wait, isn't, isn't that Koi Pell? It is Koi Pell. They have similar faces. Yeah, no, I agree. I just, I wanted to make that distinction. Um, they both have the same face, but they do have distinct same face. Oh my God. Do you follow Koi Pell on Instagram? I do not. You should. Koi Pell has been posting all of this stuff from his sketchbooks over the past year. And the most recent thing he did was this two page spread out of his sketchbook. That was the, um, astonishing X-Men from AOA. Oh my God. It's like guys, a master. Anyway, that sounds really good. Yeah. You got to check that out. Um, is this better or worse than generation hope for the future is a four letter word. I think that's probably better than this. Yeah. Let's put it right there then. All right, great. So this is going to be our new 421. This is 421. Uh, I'm calling it home front for now. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's a good, uh, way to describe it. Now, if you were reading this on, um, Marvel unlimited, (laughs) <laughs> you might be a little confused. Um, specifically, we get these two issues and then it skips immediately to issue 99 and then doesn't have issue 100, which is the two issues that we're going to be covering right now. Do you want me to tell you why it only has 99 and not 100? I'm guessing it's due to an epic collection. No, it's due no. to the fact that they, for some unknown reason, collect 99 in a trade paperback called demon bear because demon bear is only three issues long. So they put this one story that's wildly unrelated, but does involve demon bear. It actually doesn't like it only, well, it involves a psychic manifestation of the demon bear. That's not the demon bear from the demon bear reality from the badlands, but it is a projection of Danny's fears and anxieties. Well, let's get into it. So this is X-Force 99 to 100 from volume one, and it is uh, the dark cathedral story. And you're right on the cover. We get this absolutely gorgeous uh, cover to 99 drawn uh, by who else? Bill Sienkiewicz of Danny, Mr. Demon Bear himself. Danny running from the bear and inside. Uh, Jim Chung is kind of going, you remember how Chris Bocciolo, the Chalo went through that, that phase where like everybody kind of looked like a, a kid. Like Are a you talking about Chibi Bocciolo? 
Yeah, like everybody was kind of like shorter and had like anime eyes like for a while. Like this You're is... describing most of his art to be fair, but yes, I do remember the the distinct Chibi Bachalo yes. era. Well, Jim has kind of gone through this. Like if you look at these issues in succession, um everybody's shorter. Like Sam in particular looks like much younger than he does in the eighties issues of this book. It's strange. Okay, but in the eighties issues he looks like an old person. <laughs> it's weird though. It's like he's de-aged by like five years and like gotten short, which Sam never is. Anyway, I'm talking about Jim for just the sheer I, I've said this before, I will continue to say it. No one should draw the demon bear except Bill Sinkevich. And why bring him back? Why do this? think hold on i think that jim chung is doing what the demon bear looks like if jim chung drew him oh absolutely is that a good thing that i think should be in this story no it's not i think maybe i wouldn't do that <laughs> i it's it's a two-part thing one from a storytelling perspective i'd never understand bringing this this entity back because it's, because it's the best New Mutant story. I understand that, and it's Adam, recognizable. It's because it's the third best X-Men story of all time. I, I I get it. I get it. It's why you know we keep getting the Phoenix over and over again. But this is so particular to Danny's backstory that it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Here, it, it actually does work with the story. I'll give um, the story more. The story is about Danny yes. and her backstory and consolidating all of the various elements of them into one unique whole. Yes. So um, we have a demon bear. It's attacking San Francisco, which is where X-Force lives now or are they, now. They, they stopped road tripping and they started hanging out in San Francisco. Yes. Uh, Siren is not with them because Feral ripped out her vocal cords or something and is doing a little like side mission with some family members. I don't think that ever comes up. What Siren goes through things in the next two, a uh, couple of issues or next. Yeah. Next couple of issues that never comes up again. The Marvel, the Marvel Kia does say after being freed through unknown ways of the, uh, and that is only in the Marvel of women of Marvel celebrating seven decades handbook volume one. So at one point when they were putting handbook entries in for uh, siren, they said, we don't know how this happened. Uh, but we we dropped this plot because uh, she gets possessed by not Malice. Right. Yeah, she I, I I mean, when I read this, I was like, oh, that's Malice, but it's not Malice. So did they, she does get a necklace put around her that possesses her. You can't her, but... have multiple necklace possession. No, characters. no. You can it's... have the one. You can have <laughs> one. Christopher. Christopher so Claremont. Yeah. You got to think that you got to think that John Francis Moore. uh didn't know that he was getting fired from the book when he was setting up this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it definitely seems like a, Hey, I'm going to get back to this in a little bit. Um, so that's, what's going on with siren. It's not really important. Um, so this demon bear or this version of the demon bear, uh, it, it decides it's going to have a little snack and it eats Danny and Arcadia whole and Arcadia is back. Yes. Arcadia is there. Um, and the two of them learn about Arcadia's sort of childhood doll named Mary Weather, who is a, a Raggedy Ann doll. Yeah. Arcadia develops this whole fake reality that she like is all into and it has its own lore and history and also an evil queen. Anyway. <laughs> well, the evil Arcadia queen is important to the story because yeah the queen uh, of the star swords yes the queen of the star swords because as the two of them join their powers their their blue starry cosmic powers inside the demon bear the demon bear goes kerplooey and at the end of issue 99 we are confronted with four separate versions of danny moonstar including the original New Mutants, the Valkyrie, the X-Force 90s version, and the, the undercover uh, X-Force yes, undercover the, when, the when Danny got her mask. Yes. When Danny went undercover as someone whose name was just Moonstar. Yeah. And the current entity and they are being led by this queen, this queen of the, the whatever swords. Star swords. Queen of the star swords. Yes. Queen of the star swords. 
Queen of the Star Swords. Very, very famous X-Men villain, the Queen of the Star Swords. <laughs> yes. So that's all happening. Does it make a lot of sense? Um... Not really, because what they end up having to do is because it's issue 100, they have to tie everything back into all of this past X-Force continuity and New Mutants continuity. So everybody shows up, but different alternate reality versions of them. And what you get is, oh, these are actually Danny from different points in her life in different universes and some different things happened. And eventually they have to reconcile all those uh, so that Danny can be okay. Right. So um, we get cable cable is here with his scimitar. Um, We get you, Ulysses dragon blood shows up for a little bit. Um, Risk shows back up in issue 99 I love um, risk. People need to, I, I call her risque because that's the way that people should say that. Is it, we've talked about this on the show before. I feel like, is it risk or risque? Is it supposed to be risque? I like saying risque, but I feel like if they, it's not supposed to be risque, I'm calling it. It's supposed to be risque. There's a <laughs> Q U E it's like risk, but spelled weird would be a bad superhero name. And risque is not much better. Yeah. Well, regardless of that, you know, because, once all of the X-Force members end up inside the, this, like, you know, reality hopping, there, there's flashbacks to the 90s team. Deadpool shows up. You know, the dragon from Arcadia's childhood, Fenwick, is there. Uh, Who should be colored anything except for lockjaw colors. <laughs> uh, and that's how we get Cable. You know, we're getting little touches of, of just about, you know, all these different eras and different some occasional some different realities that don't really line up with anything. And uh, unfortunately, just due to the I, I don't know if whether it was just the schedule or the length of this issue, uh, Jim Chung does not do the entire issue. Um, and, and the issue definitely suffers for that, because there are points in here where we get these crossing realities and frankly, the, the story stops making sense at a certain point. It really does. Uh, Chris Renaud does some of the, those arts. Um, it's not sensical. It gets weird. Uh, Jennifer Kale shows up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Ted Salas sh- shows up, you know, Ted Salas, the man thing. Uh, yes. So because this, wherever they are, is technically a nexus of realities. Man thing is here, of course, to figure this all out. I don't, I love Ted Salas, the man thing. I don't (laughs) understand why Ted Salas, the man thing uh, needs to continue to be connected to the nexus of all realities. I don't know why he can't just be a man thing. Well, you know, he's got to have a gimmick. So uh, he's a man thing. Yeah. Uh, So his gimmick is that all that no fear burn at the touch of the man thing. (laughs) So when man thing touches Danny, Danny is then given some sort of nexus reality combining arrow powers and is able to shoot it into wherever they're at and break whatever's going on. Cable Danny decides gets, I'm Danny sticking around. There's a gigantic explosion and everybody is returned to normal and the story continues. It actually doesn't continue. It gets one fill in and then Warren Ellis shows up to do the worst counter X book. So um, weird. Seriously, um, the Wills Portacio Ian Edgington uh, X-Force is the worst X-Force that's existed. That is uh, an unfortunate era. Um, I have to say... it's not look at his best. Yeah, when Chung is on here, man, uh, it looks great. He's doing a fantastic job. And uh, I just wish this was a little bit more coherent, you know? I just... That's what I would like, because they... Like I said, especially with all this reality hopping and stuff, it just it starts to fall apart and unravel. This is this is my issue with especially the later part of John Francis Moore's X Force, and I tend to be an advocate for the Road Trip Era team. By the time the Eternals and the Deviants shows up, it does go fully off the rails and maybe uh, too deep for its own good. Like, do you know? You know how there is the whole thing about well, actually, the Celestials planted. Uh, something in humans to create mutants and all this stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that comes from John Francis Moore's later. Oh, really? Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know when Earth X came out because that obviously had some play in it, but that was an alternate reality, whatever, whatever thing. And I was once mad about this, and then I remembered 
the Celestials made everything, man. They're good space gods. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's not worth getting angry about. Um, Who so- could get re- angry at the Celestials? Who could want to blow up a Celestial that they made in their own image? Uh, <laughs> oh, Tony Stark. Always good to really make things worse every crossover that happens, right? Okay. Listen, I love the X-Men. I love the X-Men. <laughs> the mutants of Krakoa did not help the situation. No, by I tried to attack and dethrone God. No, no, but they they sh- didn't shouldn't have made a God to begin with. Anyway, uh, well, why no, are they we were talking about religion? religion? They were building it bigger. <laughs> uh, so I don't know what to think of this. You know, it is obviously a natural progression from what he was doing in the series in the um, in the issues we were just talking about. He wants to do something like huge and epic, but I, I just. You know, aside from uh, what Chung's doing art-wise, I just don't think it it holds together. Yeah, that's the problem with this, is that I respect it. It's not super-duper. Yeah, it, it, it just kind of falls apart from its own uh, pieces. So I... Ugh. I think this is probably about the same as the uh, the story we just talked about, but I honestly think this might be a little worse just because it's not as coherent. Here's what I'd say. We will skip a spot. Okay. We'll put it below Extreme X-Men Volume 2, 1 through 3, Xavier Must Die, which puts it two spots below that last X-Force. Yeah, that's that's fine. All right. But above Primer. Okay. So this is going to be our new 423? 423. Okay, that is a great spot for it. I still think this is worth at least checking out. I mean, it's very, very strange, but... Find the find the tail end of the John Francis Moore uh, X-Force, because it gets weird. Jay and Miles uh, just started covering it on the podcast X-Plain the X-Men. Uh, so, you know, you've got... Maybe, maybe that'll create more demand for this weird set of stories yeah yeah it would be really cool if you know all of this could be available on marvel u and you know get an epic collection going or something it'd be really cool if marvel unlimited worked Um, that's all (laughs) i'm asking all i'm asking is to be able to download my ding dang comics marvel or just read them i could i i can hotspot it's fine yeah i don't know i i was on a stretch there where it was working pretty well and then recently i've had some issues where it's freezing up on me again so uh, anyway, I don't want to, you know, take MU to court, but um, th- this is an interesting set of stories. So uh, thank you to Nance. Nance. Thank you for uh, giving us an opportunity to talk t- about Danny, sort of. Guys, if you want to know how to support this podcast, just like Nance, go listen to this episode again. We talked about it really close to the beginning. Yeah. Uh, Adam, what do you got going on? Not not much. Follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy And Zach, we have a pretty exciting show coming up next week, correct? Next week, friend of the show uh, and longtime guest, Leo Williams, will be joining us to talk about X-Terminators. Yes. Um, it will be loud. It will be dumb. There will be parental guidance suggested on this particular episode. <laughs> uh, but I'm very excited for it. Leo's always a fun time. Uh, we'll just have fun. We're just, we're, it's gonna be It's going to be some friends hanging out, making some laughs. Talking about Dazzler's butt. <laughs> and uh, we hope you can join us. You know what I hope, Adam? What do you hope, Zach? I hope that this has been Battle of the Atom and you survived the experience. Get it!